Live from the Mecca Mormon, Salt Lake City, Utah, this is Heart of the Matter, where Mormonism meets Biblical Christianity face-to-face. -face. I'm your host, Sean McCraney. I'm standing here uh, with the Austin Bluffs EV from Colorado Springs, Colorado! <laughs> this is uh, one of three of their, this is their youth leader, Ben. Ben, tell us what's going on. We're in Salt Lake uh, City this week, just sharing the love of Christ with people around the city. And how's it going? It's going pretty well. Having some good opportunities talking about the gospel. Excellent. Have you been tarred and feathered yet? I almost. A few oh. of them almost got kicked out today. So. Oh. So. And what what led to that? Talking about Jesus. Isn't I guess. that funny? Huh? It's amazing. Yeah, it is. Now listen. I think they want to say something. Led by their leader, Ben. One, two, three. <laughs> Jesus, Jesus paid it all. Jesus paid it all. Rock on, Austin Bluff. Thank Thanks for being with us. We praise the true and living God for allowing us to participate in this ministry. We pray that he will be with you and us tonight. Uh, Sunday's campus, 10 a.m. is milk. Studying Matthew 2.30 is meat. Studying through Romans. Uh, show the heck up. What's that? Who should show the heck up? Well, all are invited, but we especially want you to come if you feel lost, if you feel unloved, broken, poor, addicted. Uh, we want you to show up if you don't believe you have friends or, or family. Uh, we want you to show up if you hate church, if you hate religion. Even if you think you hate God, show up and be our brother or sister. If you're addicted to porn, uh, if you're uh, a liar, uh, a failure, a homosexual, a sinner, uh, show up smelling drunk, reeking of weed, uh, high on intoxicants, whatever, show the heck up, and we will feed you uh, both bagels and the Word of God. And uh, in time, hopefully, you will become full of comfort and ease. So go to www.campus with hyphens there. I think we have a graphic for you if you want to know about location and time. Also on Sundays, AM 820 replays, Heart of the Matter here in the Salt Lake Valley. Uh, actually, all through the Wasatch Front from 1 to 2, uh, AM820 is a great source of Christian information, so check them out. Then every Monday night at the downtown Salt Lake City Denny's, we hold a women's Bible study. Starts at 7 p.m. last night. They had their first one. 22 women showed up in the Denny's. They took over the whole room, and they had a great time. They stayed. Uh, there was uh, Christian male security there to ensure safe departure and arrival, and uh, we just invite you, ladies, if you want uh, sistership and you want to hear the Word of God and learn about the Bible, join us at Denny's Downtown Monday nights from 7 to 9. We have a brand new book that is doing really well, uh, even nationally, Thank the Lord, the name where Mormonism meets Biblical Christianity face-to-face, -face, an A to Z doctrinal comparative. Uh, I personally believe it's one of the best tools out there for those interested in the Mormon-Christian uh, debate. Unsolicited comments posted on Amazon about A to Z include this one from Andrew, which says, this is the most comprehensive, exhaustive, every if you can think of book on the Mormon-Christian debate that's available. No stone is left unturned or looked at in the hat. If you ever wondered about Mormon, what Mormonism teaches compared to biblical Christianity, this is the resource to get. 
A woman named Stephanie wrote in that the book needed to be written. Lamore gave it a top star rate rating and said, well done. And Kevin at MightyBuying.com wrote, quote, the reality is in an age where more and more people are blending the Mormon religion with Christianity, this book starts to look at the Grand Canyon of theological difference between the two. While it doesn't cover every topic, it provides hundreds upon hundreds of pages of the differences and is a great primer uh, to anyone interested in looking at the gulf between the religions, end quote. Where Mormonism meets biblical Christianity face-to-face, -face, it can be purchased at any family Christian bookstore in the nation. Uh, of course, on Amazon, at utlm.org, Oasis Books in Logan, Lifeway Books on State Street here in Murray. However, uh, for a summer promotion, Aletheia Ministries is offering what we think is a great package deal. What is it? Five tremendous products that separately uh, would retail out at about 100 uh, bucks, only for... That's our uh, high-end uh, promotion stuff. Only for 50 musty clams. 50 musty clams, and you can get I Was a Born Again Mormon, uh, the book. Uh, if my kingdom was of this world, then my servants would fight. Uh, a 17-verse CD of God's Word put, put to music. We call it In His Words. We use that CD at campus to worship the Lord. And um, a copy of an excellent docudrama called A Mormon President. It's excellent. So a video, a CD, uh, uh, I Was a Born Again Mormon, If Then, and then also, to top it all off, a copy of the latest Where Mormonism Meets Biblical Christianity, face-to-face, 600-plus -face, uh, pages, all for 50 musty clams. It helps us move product into the hands of people and helps uh, you pay a lot less for them. So go to www.hotm.tv to take advantage of this sales uh, extravaganza. Speaking of uh, HOTM.TV, the website, you got to go check it out and see what our uh, webmaster has done with the contents. Every show comes with the notes for the show. It comes from uh, the, the teaching uh, from the Word. And then there's also, he's, he's attached a uh, forum where people dialogue back and forth with uh, Mormons and Christians about the contents. So we hope that you'll check out www.HOTM.TV. In terms of other websites that Aletheia Ministries is behind, we're going to show you a graphic now, and it's uh, bornagainmormon.com, campus with hyphens between, hotm.tv, and xfile, xmormonfiles, xmormonfiles.tv. Uh, on Bishop Earl Erskine on Friday night interviews people on the uh, x-files uh, here on TV20, from 8 to 8.30, and you can go to that website uh, and you can uh, watch those, but tune in here at KTMW TV 20 on Friday nights and take a look at these interviews. They're really good. Since uh, moving to Utah, we are often asked, well, how do you like it? How do you like it? I want you to know that uh, I love, we love Utah, love it. I prefer it, honestly, to uh, Huntington Beach, California for a number of reasons. I love the grandeur and beauty of the state. I love the seasons. I love the Christians who are in the state who love the Lord. And we even love our LDS neighbors on each side, Jen and her family on one side and Ken the bachelor on the other. But what is extremely difficult getting used to is the religious piety all around. 
It's almost like there are living parables being played out anywhere you turn. And, and you bump into them and you watch them played out and it's just amazing. I mean, look around and you'll see uh, the parable of the sower. You'll see the prodigal son. You'll see the wheat and the tares. You'll see the Pharisee and the publican almost in every place you go. Uh, a number of weeks ago, my wife uh, and daughter, Cassidy, were uh, pulling a trailer up to the U of U on a Sunday morning uh, to get it there for our service up there. And um, while they were in the neighborhood, a bunch of LDS people were walking to their ward house, all dressed up in their suit and, and stuff. And uh, while they were driving, the trailer came off the hitch. And they're out in the middle of the street, and this heavy trailer is down in the street, and the chains are holding it, but it's off the hitch. And there stands two women, uh, also dressed up for church, and they don't know what to do. And as they're out there, these LDS guys, they walk by. They don't even stop and help. No one offers to stop and help lift that trailer up on the hitch as they're walking on their way to church. I mean, it was just like the Good Samaritan, the Levite and the priest passing on the other side along the way. And then all of a sudden, seemingly out of the blue, several men who were running uh, to go play soccer at a nearby school uh, field came running up, grabbed it, put it on there, fixed it, and off they went. Uh, I think we'll call this the parable of the walking saints. As they continue to unfold, we're going to teach you new parables as we see them. News alert, news alert. Mormonism is backing off on some of their brainwashing techniques. Corey, a faithful viewer, writes, quote, I'm technically LDS and I do attend sacrament meeting regularly for family reasons. Anyway, the first presidency of the LDS church had bishops read a letter during sacrament meetings and I assume it was across the whole church. To keep it short, members were asked to not take their young children to the pulpit and whisper words they should repeat. The letter requested that only those who could, quote, speak for themselves bear their testimonies, end quote. There's a cynical side to me, you know, that um, could criticize this and saying the LDS are bucking depression, they're trying to appear more mainstream, etc. But I thank God when any inroad uh, is made that gives people, especially children, uh, the chance to break through the, the the mind, the brainwashing that uh, religion can do to them so that they can hear the truth more readily as they grow up. Uh, may this type of thing continue to snowball. I, I look forward to the day when the LDS First Presidency has them say, uh, we just want to let everybody know here that we are renouncing the Pearl of Great Price and the Doctrine and Covenants and uh, the, the Book of Mormon. And we are turning to the Bible only and we're, shutting, we're turning our temples over to uh, the homeless and we're whatever it is, you know. We look forward to that day as well. How about a moment from the Word? Next for today, John chapter 8, verse 23. Jesus is being confronted by the Jewish leaders who seek to catch and accuse him, as they often tried to do. And in the setting, the Lord says something significant relative to the Mormon Christian debate. He says, you are from beneath, speaking to the Jewish guys. I am from above. You are of this world. I am not of this world. Mormonism teaches, and it's frankly a Hellenistic thought, that all human beings existed prior to coming to this earth in what they have labeled 
a pre-mortal existence. Uh, this belief places all human beings in the, anybody who's been a human being in the same place before this world was formed, Jesus included, and, um, and all of us came from above according to the LDS. If this is so, why does Jesus differentiate between the orig origins of the men in front of him saying, you are from beneath, and, but with regard to himself, he says, I, himself, I am from above. And why does he add, you are of this world, I am not of this world. In John 3.31, the Lord says, He that cometh from above is above all. He that is of the earth is earthly, and speaketh of the earth. He that cometh from heaven is above all. You know, if you take the LDS view, we all came from heaven, so therefore we're all above all. That wouldn't make any sense, would it? Jesus clearly teaches he came from above and anyone who comes from above is above all. That there was no pre-existent state, that this is one of the major lies of Mormonism and the Lord essentially cinches the deal right there with the words he says. If all of us came from above, Jesus wouldn't have said this, but he did in fact say it. The only human being to ever walk this earth who existed pre-mortally was Jesus Christ and references in scripture to him existing before the foundations of the world talk of him and him alone. Man was created from the dust and he became a living soul when God breathed the pneuma into him and that dust, that clay became a living soul. That was the origin of humanity from the dust, the breath of God animating all of mankind. As a result, Man is earthly from below, Jesus from above. Shamefully, this vital message is about our king and us and our relationship to him is completely lost upon the LDS and he becomes marginalized as a result. Let's have a word of prayer. Father God, we seek you and need you and we pray your spirit will be with us wherever we are those seeking truth, Lord, we pray you'll be with them. Our audience here out in TV land who watch on the archives, we pray you'll be with our volunteers and those who give so much time, those who pray for the ministry, who support any way, Lord, we thank you for them and we pray you will open eyes and ears in these unique, precarious times dealing with Mormonism and your truth. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Last week, we stepped into the narrative of the Book of Mormon, and right off the bat, we encountered some potential autobiographical elements that may have been included in the Book of Mormon. Uh, I have been faced with a decision whether to go each chapter and just kind of pull out all the things that Joseph could have composed that chapter from, autobiographical, other books, view of the Hebrews, all that stuff, or to remain focused on the theme at hand, which in this case are the autobiographical influences that could have made their way into the text, and then go back and review another theme once we've finished that out. And this is what I've decided to do. So, recall that both Joseph Smith Jr. and his father, Joseph Smith Sr., were the biggest participants in folk magic practices in the Smith home. 
Joseph Jr. and his father often went out together to do their magic practices prior to the Book of Mormon coming forth and even after. Joseph Jr., of course, used a stone and a hat to pretend that he could see buried treasure and then he would have other guys go and dig where he said, ah, there's some treasure right there. And then, of course, Joseph Sr. used a divining rod that gave direction as to where these hidden treasures would be. Well, in the Book of Mormon, as Lehi's family, where we left them off, is out in the wilderness, they have the brass plates, they are getting ready to go out into the wilderness, headed for America by boat. Before they travel, one morning, Lehi comes out and he finds a curious ball outside of his tent. First Nephi 16.10 describes it as a round ball of curious workmanship, and it was a fine brass, and within the ball were two spindles, and the one pointed the way whether we should go in the wilderness. In the Book of Mormon, this ball is called a campus, uh, excuse me, a compass in 1 Nephi 18.12, and the Liahona in Alma 37.38. It's interesting because the ball worked both like the hat that Joseph Smith claimed to be able to see words in and the divining rod that his father used because the Liahona or the compass, this ball, had words appear because of it, and so Joseph, he said words would appear, and it also pointed the direction whether they should go. So combined, we have both things that Joseph and his father were involved in in their magic practice, included in the Book of Mormon description of this Liahona. This Liahona in the Book of Mormon, it says, took the Lehi and his family to more fertile parts of the wilderness, just like following directions on the magic, uh, on, with the magic things would take the Smiths to more fertile parts of a piece of land. At one point in the narrative, when Lehi's family was hungry for food, it was the magnificent character Nephi, a type for Joseph Smith himself, who took this ball and through his righteousness was led to a place where he found game that they could kill and eat. Is this similar to Joseph Smith seeing himself as the heroic member of the Smith family who was led to a hill full of golden plates when the rest of the males in the Smith family failed to save them when they were spiritually and materially destitute? Listen to the arrogant statement taken directly from the history of the church that Joseph Smith made to his own brother William in 1835. Quote, I brought salvation to my father's house as an instrument in the hands of God when they were in a miserable situation. End quote. I was always in the impression Jesus brought salvation to people's houses. I don't know. Anyway, uh, and so we have this arrogance that Joseph believed he brought to his own family. And we have Nephi in the Book of Mormon doing the same things through the narrative. Uh, anyway, back in the wilderness, and when Nephi and Lehi and their family were all in a state of mourning and murmuring, Nephi's brothers and their wives started to say in the story, we want to kill Nephi. We don't like the type of person that he is. Big, strong, perfect spiritual leader Nephi needs to die. That's not in there, but that's how they thought. And their complaints are really interesting when you consider how Joseph Smith's brothers probably thought about him and his relationship with his dad and his claims of being able to save the family. Listen to what Joseph Smith has the wicked brothers of Nephi say about him in the Book of Mormon. Ready? 
The wicked brothers say, Nephi says the Lord has talked with him, and also that angels have ministered unto him. But behold, we know that he lied unto us. And he tells us these things, and he works many things by his cunning arts, that he may deceive our eyes, thinking perhaps that he may lead us into some strange wilderness. Taking direct quotes from the Book of Mormon that I just read to you, we know that Joseph Smith also claimed before his brothers that the Lord talked with him, just like Nephi, and that angels had administered to him, just like Nephi. And it's not very hard to hear Joseph Smith's brothers saying about him that he had been lying to them, like Nephi's brothers do, that he had been working many things by his cunning arts, and that he had been deceiving their eyes. I mean, why would Nephi's brothers, 600 years before Christ, accuse him of working many things by cunning arts? Why that phrase? It's really interesting because one of the charges laid against Joseph Smith in 1826 was uh, being a disruptive or dis disorderly person, and written in that charge was that Joseph was uh, a practitioner of crafty science. That was in the actual charge found against him where he was charged and convicted for being a glass looker. And it said he was practicing crafty science, okay? Take that, and now Nephi here in the Book of Mormon's brothers are accusing him of practicing cunning arts. It's just, it's biographical. I'm not saying it was even intentional, but it comes from the mind of somebody who can think this way and pull from all sources. A book of ancient origin, I don't think so as these things continue to uh, unfold. How many years did Lehi and his family sojourn in the wilderness? Eight. How many years did uh, Joseph Smith's uh, senior family sojourn once they left Sharon, Vermont, where Joseph was born, until they got all the way out into uh, western New York? Eight. Uh, coincidence? Maybe. In chapter 17 of the Book of Mormon, Nephi is commanded to build a ship. They've come to the water, and Nephi is told by the Lord, build a ship. And he starts to make tools because he found some ore with which he could do that. And he began running into trouble building his ship. And the brothers once again begin to criticize him. And they say things about Nephi and his person that Joseph's brothers could have easily said about him as well when it came time for him to produce the plates, the Book of Mormon, and the grand vision he had. Listen to what Nephi's brothers say in the face of his shipbuilding uh, attempt. We knew that you could not construct a ship. For we knew that you were lacking in judgment, wherefore thou canst accomplish a great work. And thou art like unto our father, led away by the foolish imaginations of his heart. End quote. Joseph Smith's father during this time was a drinker. He was a money seeker with his divining rod. He didn't do much else. And so the, the family did not look with high esteem upon him at that time. Joseph was his only partner. So we have the similar thing coming through the narrative of the Book of Mormon. Last week I mentioned Joseph Smith was potentially one of the greatest religious synthesizers of all time. We are also well aware of the arrogance he possessed, saying he can boast more, having done more, even Jesus Christ, with uh, establishing the church and being the one to bring salvation to his father's house. Taking all this into consideration, don't be too quick to dismiss the multifaceted, the multifarious 
ability of Joseph Smith to pull from everything around him and incorporate it as he creates this myth called the Book of Mormon. In a simply fascinating book called The Sword of Laban, Joseph Smith and the Dissociative Mind, a medical doctor by the name of W.D. Moraine, examines a number of traumatic experiences Joseph Smith endured as a child, and he ties them in to the narrative of the Book of Mormon. We're going to get to that next week as we continue to search and examine the Book of Mormon for uh, autobiographical or potential autobiographical themes that found their way in. Uh, we're going to open up the phone lines now, 801-973-8820, 801-973-TV20. First time callers, please. LDS callers preferred and turn off your television sets while you wait. Our ability to remain on the air and doing what we do is directly related to your support. Your support being uh, prayer, uh, telling people about the program, and if in the place, and if led of the Lord, uh, financial. Please prayerfully consider the following. We're back, and we thank you. Listen, Bill F. writes in and asks, Did you know that in the Salt Lake City Museum, they have no Book of Mormon artifacts? Can you believe it? In the Salt Lake City Museum, there's no Book of Mormon artifacts. Of course, they've got farms down there at BYU, and they've got all these archaeologists, and they've got all this stuff, and they're doing all these research, and they've got everything going. Not a single coin, not a single arrowhead, not a sword, not a scimitar, nothing, nothing, no plates, nothing from the Book of Mormon to prove prove its archaeological existence. And here's the thing. Joseph Smith went to the Hill Cumorah right behind his house, near his house, dug up the plates. That's where they were buried during an immense battle. Who owns the hill? The LDS Church. They can excavate it and fill that Salt Lake Museum with Book of Mormon artifacts. Why don't they? Ah-ha-ha. <laughs> uh -huh. Okay, listen. Uh, let me tell you something about epistemology, and that means how we know something, okay? This is really important, and it's fascinating, all right? Mormons and others attack Christianity primarily on three points. They attack us for uh, the Word of God, the Bible. They attack us for the Son of God, Jesus Christ, and what we think of Him. And they attack us for the church that... Uh, we are, meaning there's so many denominations and there's so many different vari variable things, okay? Just remember that. Those three things, the Word of God, the Son of God, and His body, body of Christ, okay? Think about this for a second. God established His Word not by just sending a book down through one man and having it written and there be there for all ages, giving it to Adam and having Adam pass it down. He sent His Word through men, Okay, men, all right, inspired by God. Men inspired by God. Those two parts. Why men? Because God establishes his truth in real things when dealing with humans. And men are real in real places with real histories in real towns. And so he works through men and the, who are moved upon by the Holy Spirit. Those men leave behind evidence, okay? Second one, they attack Christ, his divinity, who he is. Who was Christ? He was 100% man. 
He didn't have him up in the heavens and some spirit being sacrificed and do everything. He came down, was born. He was 100% man and 100% God. And so God worked through, again, man, leaving an evidence. Josephus saying Jesus was an actual person, died on a literal cross by the Romans during the Pax Romana, evidence of his existence. 100% God, just like the Bible, through men, Holy Spirit. Do you see how God works? He works through men to bring forth heavenly things. Finally, we have his church. Who's it filled with? Men, people, women, human beings, and the Holy Spirit that rests upon the church, giving evidence of him and his fruit throughout the world today. God sets forth his epistemology, how we know things, by coming through real people inspired by God, you see? Because real people leave evidences. If there is a group who only focuses on the real, then what you have are called humanists. They don't believe in the heavenly side. And they say, we're humanists. Look, at this is man, this is real. I can only believe in what is real. If you have people that just believe in the spiritual side and not the man side, they are called uh, mystics, mysticisms or mystics. And mystics only believe, they believe in some guy saying, God told me that you should wear a pink wig. And the mystics believe in this personal revelation that transcends all material. That doesn't, God has never said, I want you to do that. He works with men filled with the Holy Spirit, and those combined provide evidence of him. Do you get how that works? Mormonism has said pure mystic, pure. Joseph Smith provided most of the canon. He said, I received it. This is the truth. This is the truth. This is the truth. And it's passed all the way down today. And that is why there is no evidence in the Salt Lake City uh, Museum of what Joseph Smith said, because he didn't act and provide the way God does, physical material and spiritual, all right? Hope you get all that. Uh, is there anything in the Book of Mormon that predicts Joseph Smith's coming? No. Uh, Joseph Smith's name is alluded to in the Book of Mormon, and it does talk in the Book of Mormon about a prophet that will bring it forth, but it doesn't say Joseph Smith himself. We're going to Jeff in Washington, D.C. on line one. Jeff, you're on Heart of the Matter. Hey, Sean. Uh, glad to get through to you. I, I figured out where everything has gone, where the uh, Book of Mormon lands actually are. Where? Very simple. Atlantis. Yes! It makes perfect sense. Yeah. I had two Mormon missionaries come by, and I, I told them I was listening to a song by Donovan about Atlantis, and it talks about 12 apostles and ships sailing out, and it's clear that the Book of Mormon lands are somewhere at the bottom of the ocean. Well, you know, I would not, uh, I would bet that that theory is going to pop up sometime and become popularized because it makes as much sense as everything else. You know, Jeff, when I was a kid, I mean, literally, the, the books, books of Mormon, they contain pictures of, uh, of, and it would say under the pictures, the American Indians in Book of Mormon times. I mean, it was all centered here. But since they haven't been able to prove it through archaeology and DNA, suddenly it's moved on. And I guess from your opinion, it's in the lost city of Atlantis. Well, let's work together and start a rumor. I, I, I think they'll really go for it. That sounds like a good idea. It starts here on Heart of the Matter. <laughs> All right. Good job, Jeff. Thanks for watching. Sure. Bye. Talk to you later. Bye. Uh, I got my nephew to make up a word when he was in high school, and they, tried, and they popularized it in the high school, and uh, uh, it, it, it was barleyed. 
Oh, they were just totally barleyed, man. And, uh, and, and pretty soon there were kids in the neighborhood who were getting that rumor going, hey, is he barleyed today? So uh, maybe they can start a little rumor there. Book of Mormon Atlantis. When you see it on blogs, laugh to yourself. It started here. Uh, question, when were you married in the temple? When you were married in the temple, did you have to reach your hand through a curtain? Yes. What happens when you go to the temple is you enter in, you get uh, washed and anointed, and you then put on garments, you get a new name, you go in and you sit and you watch a film for about an hour and 45 minutes, and during that film presentation, you're given a bunch of different keywords and handshakes, okay? And once you learn all of those, and what those represent is when you die, you will go and you will present those keywords and handshakes to God or to angels so that you can be allowed into heaven. And so what happens is you sit through that film for an hour and 45 minutes, you get all the keywords, you get all the handshakes, and then they say, go to the veil. And they open up this thing, and there's a whole bunch of curtains standing there with holes in them, and there's a person on the other side of the veil representing God, and you come up, and you put your hand through this hole in the, in the, in the screen, and he puts his hand through, and you do all the handshakes, and you say all the key secret phrases, and then when God is satisfied on the other side, he says, come on in, buddy, and you walk on through, and you go into this room called the celestial room, and inside that, everybody's sitting, your mom, your dad, some are crying, and, and it's this experience like you just walked into heaven. And uh, so you have to go back to the temple as a member of the church and you have to pay tithing and you have to do everything they say in order to get in that temple in order to learn what those handshakes and key phrases are. One of them is very long and they only tell it to you when you are at that curtain. Uh, and so they tell it to you and you have to repeat it and you can't. So you have to keep going back in order to learn it and in order to keep going back to learn it so you can have it when you die to give to God so you can get into heaven, you gotta pay your tithing to be able to be worthy to go in. You see how it works? And so that is how the system works. It is wholly founded on masonry, completely founded. In fact, the Liahona we were just talking about, my good friend Reed, he points out, founded on masonry. The, the orbs and the balls that are in Masonic temples today, Joseph took from that and created, uh, in all probability, the Liahona as his father and, and brother Hiram were masons before the book was written. So the ties are all there. He was a great religious synthesizer. He went, became a 33 degree, uh, the master mason in three days, and then about three weeks later, he produced the Mormon temple ceremony. This is true stuff. I'm not making it up. Check my facts. If you sit there and say Joseph Smith was a true prophet and I spend my time going into these temples that he says are like the temple of ancient Israel and, and it's a complete lie and you've been deluded and you're wasting your time in there and instead you should be having your relationship with the Lord. Ted in Wyoming was, Ted in Wyoming weighs, it says, Ted in Wyoming weighs his grandmother says his grandmother was LDS and bedridden, now born again two months, and she took two steps today. Well, praise God, Ted in Wyoming. May God continue to bless her. Listen, our good friend Michael, the ex-pagan, now son of the living God, uh, wrote with an interesting point about marriage in the LDS church. He says, Mormons, and, and having studied it and understanding it, and I would agree with him, don't believe that other marriages are of any value. In the Mormon mind, the only marriage that has merit are those that are performed in the temple and where people are sealed for time and all eternity, a man and a woman, 
and they, then they are, have a celestial marriage, you see. But if you're married outside of the temple, Mormons consider that not even really a marriage. It doesn't even matter because it's not going to go on beyond the grave. So Michael's point was, what's their big fear about uh, in their criticism of homosexual marriage? Uh, because they criticize regular marriage. How come they're not petitioning against other marriages too? Because they firmly believe that other marriages really have no value because they don't carry on beyond this grave. Mormon missionaries promise people when they knock on the door, hey, would you like to be sealed to your husband for time and all eternity? If they asked my wife that, she would say no at this point. But uh, they asked some people that, oh yes, I would. Have you lost a child? Yes, I did. Would you like to be sealed to them forever and ever? So when you die, you know they will be with you in heaven? Yes, I would. Well, we have the answer on how that can happen. And I literally met a woman the other day who joined the church because she had a daughter who died when she was a Christian and she couldn't get an answer as to where the daughter was. But the Mormons promised her that that daughter would be sealed to her if she went to the temple and did everything right. And hence she became a Latter-day Saint. What a, what a lie. I mean, the Lord Jesus said, we're not married nor given in marriage in heaven. It's going to be a much better deal. So, you know, it's just, this is why we do this, my friends, to release you from the bondage that people are in. Joanne and Vernal, first time caller. Joanne, you're on heart of the matter. Hey, um, my question, well, it's more of a comment, but, um, you know, I'm thinking that if Joseph Smith was such an important part of the restoration of the gospel, wouldn't it have been prophesied in the Bible? I mean, all these great things have been prophesied in the Bible, but yet, there, is there anything in the Bible that prophesies about um, a, you know, a prophet coming, um, a, a church being reorganized, or, you know, is there anything in the Bible that talks about that? Well, it's a great question, Joanne, and this is why. In, in our Bible, the Christian Bible, whatever version it is, no. However, in the Joseph Smith translation in Genesis chapter 33, I believe, he wrote his own name in the Bible as someone who's coming forth to bring everything forward. I'm not kidding. <laughs> so he was inspired, not by any language, not looking at ancient texts, but as he read through the Bible to say, hey, this is where my name needs to be to talk about me coming forth and starting the true church. Add it in. And the Joseph Smith translation of the Bible includes his name in that chapter. But not in the no. real Bible, right? No, no, <laughs> Except where it talks about false prophets. That's where it talks about Joseph Smith in our Bible. But, you know, can you see the con? Can, can, I mean, I'm, I'm asking this kind of to the audience and to you. Uh, can you see the con that he's done? Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. We are, our eyes have been opened, and we're actually in the process of leading the church. And so, um, yeah, we're just, I just, you know, I just thought something so significant to actually bring, you know, the Mormons think something so significant that they're actually bringing, restoring Jesus, you know, God's gospel on the earth, that would somewhere, you would think, be in the Bible, you know, and it's not. There's nothing, so... Well, hey, I got to ask you something. What are you going to do now that you're leaving? Um, <laughs> well, we are definitely found a really good Bible-based church in our area. Awesome. And, um, we're just gonna we're gonna go with it, and we're gonna we're gonna hold on to the Word of God and the Bible, and that's what we're doing. So. So proud of you, Joe. And way to go. You have a family. Yes, I do. Uh huh. Great. I have um, a husband and. 
two little children at home. Pray for Joanne, her husband, and two little children out in Vernal, everybody. And uh, you are making the greatest decision of your life. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Sean. Thank you. Talk to you later. Bye-bye. Bye. I love those success stories. Isn't that wonderful? Our audience here tends to agree. Hey, a faithful viewer wrote in and said, tonight on Mythbusters, which is a very reliable show, by the way, they had a show where they were able to, they, they tested how to fool people into believing something that was a lie. And in the testing, they found that to really fool people, it required a group of at least four that are in on the scam. And before a person could be lied and tricked into believing it, the show was titled Head Games. Great title because in the end, it really all is. And that goes back to those little kids with their parents whispering, I, am, I know the church is true. I know the church is true. I believe in Joseph Smith. I believe in Joseph Smith. I mean, and, and these four kids are just like four. What else, mom? You know, and, and they're just brainwashed. And so we have people calling to the show. And they're like, Sean, didn't you go on a mission and teach people? Yes. I was raised like that. My mom whispered into my ear too. And I was fooled. I was tricked, okay? Not that smart. I didn't start thinking until I got older. But when I did and I said, I want to know God above everything else. I don't care what the cost is. I want to know truth. And you know, you have that responsibility too. You have that responsibility too. Don't think that you can just lollygag your way through the Mormon church and think God's going to be happy with you when you show up. He's going to be like, dude, I was calling to you your entire life with my Holy Spirit. And what did you do? You just kept accepting Mormonism because it was convenient to you, you loser. And so you have the responsibility to decide, am I going to listen to and am I going to seek after truth? Or am I just going to throw my hands up and say it must be true? I'm too lazy. I'm too afraid of losing my job. I'm too afraid of my children who won't be able to go to Mutual anymore. I'm so afraid that they won't be invited to the school parties if, I, if they find Jesus. I mean, come on. It's Jesus. You have him on your side, your kids will kick rear end as they go through life. I can promise you that. Okay. Why would the God of the universe need special handshakes and words to let you into heaven? It's a great question. Ask your LDS friends that because it's literally what they believe. And you know what they will say? The God of heaven wants everybody to uh, be worthy to go to heaven. And in order to be worthy, you have to prove it. And in order to prove it, you go through the temple and you show that you're honest and you pay your tithes and you keep the Sabbath day and you obey your callings and you're faithful to your spouse and all that stuff. And then you go to the temple and you're given all those secret things and it shows that you were worthy enough to receive them in this life. And that proves to God that you were holy. And uh, what a lie. That's counter to the gospel of Jesus Christ, which says, look at Come unto me, all you that are labor and heavy laden, and I, Jesus alone, will give you rest. And it's always interesting to me, you know, the LDS church, they, they put you through two screening processes to get into the temple. You have to meet the bishop or the bishopric member, and you have to ask all these questions. And then you have to go to a stake presidency member or the stake president, and they ask you the same questions again. And then after you get the two signatures, you get your recommend and you're allowed to go into the temple. And you go into the temple and you know everybody's been screened and all the lockers have locks on them. I don't get it. 
Okay, uh, let's move forward. Uh, this is from Francie, uh, who has some insights on being involved in churches at one time in her life. It says, Sean, love your program and stream it on iPod. No longer a believer in any religion. You do not make me want, uh, you do make me want to search out what being saved means as I was particularly offended as a young black Jewish girl by all the rude Christians who wanted to know how I was saved, if I was saved, why I killed Christ. Uh, anyway, my mother was devastated by the cruelty, racism of the worldwide church of God. So this is another experience she had. My sister says they've broken into many branches. I told her that you say Tekot, she's the leader of the worldwide church of God that helped them leave behind some of their cultic practices and become more mainstream Christian. And that she, and I told my sister, you say Tekot has turned it around. She studies and we both find that laughable. The interracial marriages they've destroyed, the hearts they've broken, the monies they've wasted on politics, their far right wing people punishing policies have not been replaced with any love that we have heard of in email. Now listen, uh, you know, uh, religions make a lot of mistakes. Pastors are just men and Christians are just people. And sometimes they get it in their head that they can apply things to the religious life of their congregation that are not true. And so it does a lot of damage. And that is why the, the foremost important part of every individual's life on this earth is to have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ by virtue of him sending his Holy Spirit, giving you a new heart, which gives you new eyes and a new perspective and a direct communication with the Father where you can now call him Papa. Where before he was a God of fiery wrath, he now becomes your Papa in this relationship. After that, it does not matter if you go to a church that commands you eat toads. You can go to any church that can get all mixed up and get really, and you can just walk away because you have the thing that matters in you. Now, church is important. Find a good one, like the, one, the woman in Vernal. She's going to find one that teaches the Bible. Really good, really important. Because associating with like-minded believers and studying the word and, and worshiping and all those things is very important to our Christian walk. However, what's important to the individual in terms of living with God after this life is the relationship. And that does not come by and through any, any, any church. No pastor, no bishop, no pope or priest, no prophet. It comes directly through your relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Okay, so hang in there. Uh, those of you who are suffering, um, have this email. Excuse me one second. Uh, this person wonders if Joseph and Hiram killed Alvin, that was their older brother, because he didn't want to go along with the plate idea. Uh, Alvin having died at the age of 25 from mercury poison. Uh, I want you to know that all history that I've ever read about Joseph Smith and his life and any of the scholars who are pretty smart scholars who research it would never conclude that they had anything to do with his death. Uh, uh, supposedly, from everything I've read, the older brother Alvin was the father figure in the Smith home as Joseph, Joseph Sr., the father, was out of the way with wine most of the time in their young lives and out searching for treasure with his divining rod. And so Alvin was like the father figure. And he died unexpectedly and from a common uh, 
treatment that they gave him drinking some, this mercury-based compound and it stuck in his stomach and it killed him in three days. And Joseph and Hiram and the rest of the family were brokenhearted when Alvin died. So I think that, that was, that's probably a bad rumor or a bad thought that people are pushing around. However, one interesting thought to that is when a Methodist, I think it was a Methodist preacher, came to the Smith home a few days after Alvin died and he found out that Alvin had not been baptized, it drove Joseph's mother just absolutely into the pits of sorrow because the, the preacher said he's in hell. He wasn't baptized. Another evidence of people making mistakes in what they say. That's not biblical. And, and he said, your, your, your son Alvin is in hell because you didn't baptize him. So immediately Lucy took all the kids that would go, and Joseph was not one of them, and went and got them and, and had them join a church and get baptized. Joseph stayed with his father by his side who refused to join any religion and continued on that road with him going out and doing the magic stuff, uh, etc. So it's an interesting parallel. It is from this event in Joseph's life, they believe baptism for the dead came about. That Joseph said those people who have died without baptism can have an opportunity to have it. And it's thought that he probably brought this all forward by reading 1 Corinthians 15, 29 and thinking of his brother Alvin, giving his mother and father hope of this thing. And boom, we have a doctrine. Okay. All right. Let's go to Robbie in Cache Valley. He's LDS. Robbie, you're on the air. Okay. I'm calling because I'm a little concerned about the style of your program. Style? Style, uh-huh. Oh, I'm concerned about the style of your talk. Why would you be concerned about the style of my talk? Why are you concerned about the style of my program? Well, okay. Yeah, it's a fair question, huh? Because when you start going down to opinions about how things are done, you get into a real sticky oh, wicket, don't you? This is something that happens in your show. I want a chance to say something. I'm letting you. I'm LDS. I'm a member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. No, you're a Mormon. I That's not Jesus Christ Church. I I'm a Christian. No, you're not. I am. Well, I don't know about you. You might be. I, I, but Mormonism does not produce Christians. Mormonism produces Mormons. And your show presents us as very an ugly religion. I don't care what the show produces. I'm here for a purpose. I, when you... You Are you going to tell me how I do it so that you can not be offended, Robbie? I know you. You've called you here before, and this is why I'm being so tough with you right now. Why are you so upset? R Robbie, because you've called here before. We say first-time callers. You've called here before. I know who you are, and I'm getting it right to the point. Let me tell you something, my friend. You call here and say you're Christian. Say I called the Do you know what that means, Robbie? I don't understand. Say that one more time. Do you know what it means to be a Christian, Robbie? I know what it means. What does it mean? Explain it to us. It means to love Christ, to follow him, to rely on his grace that we may be saved and brought back to our Heavenly Father. Okay, forget Atonement means at one. It's a process whereby Christ brings us back to our Heavenly Father. A process? There isn't a member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints that doesn't have that conviction. Okay, listen, Robbie. I was a member of the church for 40 years. I was a high priest. I was a I, seminary teacher. Don't tell me that there's not a member of the church who doesn't understand that. That's incorrect, Robbie. I'll be a member of the church. What? 
I don't understand how you could have been a member of the church. Well, th because I don't talk in soft tones and I'm not really friendly here on the show with you, Robbie. That, that You don't understand that? That I don't pretend to be really good on the outside like a whited sepulcher, but I'm full of dead of dried bones? Let me tell you something. Robbie, do you believe... That, you wait, here? wait, Robbie. Do you believe you have to go to a temple and do endowments in Why order... I want to know if you believe you have to go to the temple and do endowments and receive your new and everlasting covenant to live with Heavenly Father. Why, uh, first of all, why are you yelling? Okay, that's not the question. Answer my question. Because the question is, you yell at your... It doesn't matter. Answer my question. No, that, it doesn't. Why? Because the, you know that the question answered is going to prove that you are not a person who believes Christ's grace saves you and reunites you with Heavenly Father after this life. You see, Robbie, I've called your bluff and it got in my blood before you said two words. I'm, I can hear your lilting, soft, oh. sing-song approach, Robbie, and I understand how it works. Oh, and it makes me mad because that approach influences people yeah. when the missionary knocks on the door. Christ, why would... Why? I want to know, Robbie, answer my question about the temple. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell you. I want to know about the question to the temple and then I'll let you say what you want to say. That, that is an unanswerable question in the what you're presenting what I, are you talking about unanswerable how are now you're lying robbie you wonder why i get upset what are you talking about why don't you be real why don't you be honest why don't you say yes you got to go to the temple yes you have to do it in order to live with heavenly father again yes you have to do it to be a god why don't you guys tell the truth why can't you tell the truth i totally believe that God has a system to help people. Oh, nice way of putting it. Your system is exactly what I just described. Hold on, just a second. No, not just a second. Answer me honestly. Be an honest man, and you will see me calm down okay. just like this. Hold on. I'll be just like this. Hold me. Okay, I'll be just like this. You be an honest man. But if you're not, I'm going to be in your kitchen like this, Robbie. Be honest with our audience, Robbie. Sean? Yeah. I say come follow me. Robbie, do you have to wear your garments every day to please God, to live with him after this life? I can hardly understand you. Yeah, of course you can. Robbie, do you have to wear your garments every day in order to please well, God what? to live with him after this life? So what? So what if I were... Do you have to? I didn't say do you. I said do you have to? To please God to live with him after this life. You're turning things around. I'm not turning anything around. It's a direct question. Is that taught? Is, if Christ has a method for me to be a happier person, should I not follow it? Christ does not bring that to you in terms of being happy, uh, Robbie. It's not in the Bible. It's, a, it's a, a, a manipulation by men to get you to go into their temple. Robbie, answer the question yes or no. As a Mormon, do you have to wear your garments in order to please God and then live with him after this life? Yes or no? You're asking a question of me personally. As a church, not you. In the church, Robbie. For me personally. No, not you personally. Don't switch it back now. What? Whoa. As the church, Robbie. Oh, the church. Does the church teach that people who have gone through the temple have to wear their garments in order to please Heavenly Father so they can return to live with Him after this life? Yes or no? So they have. So they please 
so they have do they, to. Does it please Heavenly Father in order, and do you have to wear them? Do they say wear them every day of your life, Robbie? Yes or no? And you have to to please the Father. You please the Father by doing His will. That's not what I asked, Robbie. Straight question, do you have to wear garments in order to please God and live with him after this life? Yes or no? John? Yes or no, Robbie? It's contentious. I'll, I, you, now we're on the contentious road. If you answer the question honestly, you'll see me calm right down. Yes or no? I told you the answer. You didn't. Well, if you'd stop yelling, perhaps you could hear it. Okay, answer it now. I said... And I'm not going to say yes or no the way you want it. They won't say yes or no, because if they say yes or no, it completely takes them out of their ability to say we're Christian. And this is the problem. Mormons, they like to claim everything that has to do with Christ. They'll claim the cross. They'll claim grace. They'll say he's their savior. They'll say anything and everything to get the world to believe they're Christian. But I was one. And I'm going to tell you something. I have studied the Bible now for I don't know how long, every day of my life as humanly possible to seek. And the Bible does not ever say any of the things that Mormons say you need to do to be pleasing to God to live with him after this life. That was one. That was one. After he answered, we could have gone to tithing. We could have gone to Sabbath day. We could have gone to doing your home teaching, going on a mission, being married for time and all eternity. Yada, 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 yada. Robbie is here to present the, 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 the perfect plan so people can believe it and think that they're Christian. But it's a lie, my friends. Jesus Christ came and he died. I take that really seriously. I'm going to face him one day and he's going to say, Sean, were you honest? Were you there? Were you really telling people what it was about? Yes, Lord God, whatever you want to do with me, do with me. I know you saved me by your blood, but I did my best to try to convince people that this thing keeps them in bondage. May God bless you. Seek for the truth. The time is running short. I'm not a fanatic, but it's running short. Find the Lord God, go to him, get the truth, and your life will really change.